Hey, what's going on? This is Lewis Angel right here with AE Mind. And check this out. I have a very special treat for you guys here today. I'm going to be interviewing the co-star of the show, Supernatural. He plays an angel named Castiel on that show. Not only that, but he's been on several other TV shows. And he's a co-founder of this company called Random Acts. It's a nonprofit organization which does a lot of good things for the world. So we'll talk more about that. We'll also talk about this huge scavenger hunt that I actually participated in last year with my friends called Gishwiz. So a lot of fun things. We'll talk about acting, business, giving back. So many great things here on today's interview. Please help me welcome to the A Mind Interviews, Mr. Misha Collins. What's up, Misha? Thanks so much for getting on the call with us. Hi, Luis. How are you? Doing good, man. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. I like your Galaxy shirt. Like it. Pretty cool. From yeah. uh, the Imaginary Foundation, um, this guy, Jason Silva, he puts out these like cool like mind-tripping videos on his YouTube channel, Shots of Art. Um, and yeah, he, he's like, hey, you know, I'm always wearing these shirts are from Imaginary Foundation. I checked out all, all those shirts. I have a few of them, so I really like it. Nice. <laughs> so he plugged the shirts, and now you plug the shirts, and then I'll probably end up plugging the shirts. Right. So it's good. It's a good viral marketing scheme they've yeah, got going there. <laughs> During our, our second part of our interview, uh, the To Be Continued version, you're going to have to be wearing one of these shirts. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll have one next time. <laughs> Cool, man. So you're in Washington right now, right? Yep. Cool. Yep. Uh, the sun is just setting right now. It's pretty, we're, you know, northern latitude here. So it uh, it gets dark in early January, very early. It's a little bit trying. And it's also dark when you wake up at like 730, the sun still hasn't risen. And you're like, what is happening? That's, that's kind of like oh. England in a way. Like it's yeah. really early and like doesn't rise so yeah. late so yeah the on the flip side in the summer it's like 10 30 and sunny which is awesome but now it's a little it's a little dreary <laughs> is, that, is that your home base is that where you reside out of in washington <clears throat> i split my time between um northwest washington and los angeles so um while i'm shooting on supernatural i live in washington and um and and my kids are in school here in washington now so we're trying to make this more of our base, but we still spend about three months out of the year in LA, um, which uh, you know is still is still great. Yeah. Which one do you prefer? It's nice. It's nice. I like this setup that we have right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to pick favorites because it's <laughs> nice, but I like Washington better. <laughs> <laughs> so you just no, pick the favorite. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I like, I like this balance of having this, uh, of having somewhere that's not in the big city be the home base. Um, but being able to spend still a reasonably significant amount of time in the big city and, uh, culture factory that Los Angeles is. Um, I really like this town of, uh, we're in a place called Bellingham, which has got a population of 82,000. Um, and it's really accessible and beautiful. It's right on the water. I'm looking out the window right now at islands and, uh, a cargo ship going by. It's just really, I, I, I can show it to you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the view. Holy uh, moly. Up there. It's pretty awesome. So, um, so that's great. Um, but it's nice to be able to go back into LA and, and be with some, you know, real heavy hitters that are, um, making the culture that the rest of the world consumes. So I like to be 
I like to have my toes in both ponds. A mixture of both. That's awesome, man. I think I might, you know, move out there uh, in a few years. You're, <laughs> you're, in, you're, in so, you're in SoCal. Yeah, yeah. I'm near, I'm about half an hour from, depending on traffic, sometimes it takes me up to two hours to get to LA. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes on a Sunday day, you know, Sunday afternoon, 30 minutes, I'm in LA. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm pretty much, I've, I've grew up here. Uh, I'm in a city called La Puente, mm -hmm. um, about 30 minutes from LA. Nice. Yeah, this has been my home base for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, I was, I participated in the thing that you ran uh, last year and you run every single year, uh, Gishwis. So let's talk a little bit about that before we get into, you know, a little bit about the show and acting and other things. I really love this concept of Gishwis. Um, let me see if I can get, if I memorize it correctly. It's uh, the greatest international scavenger hunt the world has ever seen is yeah, that well done that well done yeah <laughs> as a memory master you you have an advantage on that most people <laughs> can't remember how to say it can't remember what it how it's spelled and definitely don't remember what it stands for so good on you yeah <laughs> thanks man uh, so it took many years to get me to that point <laughs> many years so what is this? I mean, I participate. It was awesome to go out and do these like fun, random things. Um, and a lot of them were for like just good causes, helping out others. Right. Um, and at the end of it, you guys pick like a, a team that does get the most points and they go on a trip to was it Iceland this year. I think. Yep. It yep. Yep. Um, so can you give me a little bit you know, of background on how you came up with this idea and what is it exactly for those that don't know what it is? Well, um, I went to uh, the University of Chicago, which um, at the time that I went there was a very, very austere, very serious, very academic university. It's still very academic, but it's a little bit more well-rounded, my understanding is now. When I started there, they didn't even have a student center. There was no, there was, the only social life occurred in the basement of the Regenstein Library, in the, in the library cafe. It was very uh, focused but they had this one bright spot in the academic calendar, which was the annual SCAV, which stands for scavenger hunt, which was a three day, was a long weekend, and we all participated in this totally insane, in all consuming scavenger hunt, where everyone for three days neglected their classes and their homework <laughs> and just went balls to the wall to try to get this thing done. And, uh, and I had a tremendous amount of fun doing that. There, there are items on the scavenger hunt. That For that scavenger hunt, uh, it was all more just like in the Chicago area. Although, yeah, it was mostly like in the Chicago area. And everything that was on the list, you had to somehow physically bring to a judging content, to a judging session at the end. So, for example, um, one year, one of the items was a Hooters waitress. So you had to somehow get a Hooters waitress to come wearing her you know, attire to a specific location at a specific time to be judged as an item in the hunt. My girlfriend at the time was now my wife. Um, sorry, there's a train going by. If you hear that noise, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, she, uh, nobody could get a Hooters waitress on any of the teams. So she went to Hooters and got hired. She got a job at Hooters <laughs> what? so that she could so show up for her team. Uh, anyway, so it was just, we had a great time with that. Yeah. So when I um, when I got on Supernatural and started to get a following online, uh, I had a sort of a long and complicated story, but but I'll shorten it to just say that I started sort of playing with my fans online, and I had been carrying with me this list of 
uh, art projects that I wanted to get done for a long time. And the list kept getting longer, but not, I kept on not doing the things on the list. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have my fans do these things for me and see how they come out. And so a lot of those things wound up on a little list for a mini scavenger hunt that I conducted uh, seven years ago. And I did it really just to just to have fun. Um, I had an episode off and I was like, oh, this this could be fun. And it really blew me away. The stuff that people sent back was amazing. And the way that people got engaged was also amazing. They were just, they clearly had a tremendous amount of fun and tried really, really hard. And on that that year, I think that the prize, like if your team won, I would give you uh, and and you ever happened to come across me, if you presented your winning team ticket. I would buy you a cup of tea. Like that was it. There was no, it was not a, what a prize. It was <laughs> not a good prize. So, um, so, but people didn't, it wasn't about the prize. People just like right. tried super hard and won. And so when one team won, I'm still every once in a while, seven years later, somebody will come up to me and be like, here's my thing. Uh, can I yeah, redeem this see. for some tea? And I have to stop and have tea with somebody. Um, but but uh, I was like, wow, that blew me away. That was really fun for me. I have to keep doing it. And a lot of the submissions that people, I mean, some of the stuff that I had people do was absurd and it just made me laugh. So uh, I was like, I have to keep doing this. So the next year I made it quite a bit. I got a, a friend who's uh, been sort of a business partner for some time to help me put it together. And the next year we ran it as a more organized thing and we had and that's when we named it Gishwiz and in order to which stands for as you said greatest international scavenger hunt the world has ever seen and in order to actually codify it as that legitimately I was like we have to win a Guinness world record as the largest scavenger hunt ever and we did that year it was 6,000 something participants um, now we have many tens of thousands of participants it's grown every year um, and people participate from over a hundred countries and they've done truly extraordinary things, um, ranging from um, getting uh, getting artwork that was crafted by seven-year-olds, which was in this year's hunt, up in space, um, which is amazing. Did anybody do that one? Did they actually? Yeah, accomplish they it? did. Yep. Wow. bunch of bunch of teams got that one. Um, one, uh, yeah. Um, we we've had you know the likes of William Shatner participate in in the hunt uh, and NASA uh, has been involved and um, it's been truly extraordinary. Um, so I still continue to have a lot of fun with it. This year we did an amazing. So we also try to integrate in a scavenger hunt. Um, we try to raise uh, a good chunk of the proceeds from Gishwiz go go directly to charity afterwards. So. That's one thing we like to do with it. But another thing is we like to actually focus the participants' efforts toward, as you mentioned, uh, charitable acts. So there's a little bit of an element of um, uh, charitable or magnanimous acts that are woven into the hunt. It is, it's not what it's about, but it's an element of it. And part of the reason for that is one, I feel like I've got an army of people who will do whatever I say and I want to put them to good use. But another reason that I do that is that I want to help convey the message that doing good things for other people can be really fun. There's no reason that it has to be this boring drag 
that your you know parents are making you do. It can be something that you have a really great time doing. And so that's a message that in my life, generally speaking, I like to try to convey to people. And it seems to work. People love doing the kindness related items in the hunt. This year we added, we uh, had an item in the hunt, which was to get other people. So we weren't extorting people who were participating in the hunt by saying, we want you to donate money, you participants. But the challenge was to get other people who were not participating in the hunt to donate money to uh, help this family that we had just heard this amazingly heart-wrenching story about this. They were Syrian refugees living in Lebanon. The mom had been shot by a sniper. She was paralyzed, hadn't been out of her tent in two years. Uh, The kids were just struggling, struggling, struggling to make ends meet. Um, I mean, the story is even more heartbreaking than what I just conveyed, but we we added midway through the week-long scavenger hunt this year, we added in an item that said, um, you know, get other people to donate money to help this family. And we were thinking, like, if we can get $30,000, um, we'll be able to uh, get the mother medical attention. We'll be able to get the family out of that tent and into an apartment. We'll be able to pay for the kids' schooling. And that will last for, in Lebanon right now, that'll last for three years. If we get $30,000, like, we can take care of all of those needs for that that amount of time. And... We posted it in the evening, and that the next morning we had seventy thousand dollars. And I was like, "Shit, that's enough for a whole nother family. We got to find another family." Yeah. And so we found another family, and then we that's raised awesome. more money by the end of that day. And we found another family and another family, and by the end we'd raised two hundred and twenty thousand dollars in three days. And we have now four families that we're taking care of, hopefully for the next five years. Um, which is just incredibly gratifying to be able to do, to be able to take a game that ostensibly is whimsical and uh, and, and in some respects possibly pointless and, and, and focusing the energy of the participants in that game in order to materially change the lives of, you know, these families that otherwise were in literally the most dire straits you can imagine. So... Um, that's been one really gratifying aspect of Gishwiz. Um, and I can go on and on about it because I really love it. I mean, another thing is that people, I feel like the hunt gives people an excuse to engage in, um, activities that they would never do. It gets people out of their comfort zone, gets them doing things that are maybe embarrassing or, uh, or artistic that they wouldn't normally do. And so I've gotten a lot of letters from people saying, like, after I participated in Gishwiz, I decided to quit my job and go back to art school. Or after I participated in Gishwiz, my team has become my closest friends and I'm or marriages that have been transpired because of it or whatever. So there have been it's made a a pretty big impact on a lot of people's lives um, outside of the realm of the charitable stuff that we do try to do with it. Um, just because it's like this super intense experience for a week um, that gets people doing stuff that they would never normally do. So I love it. Uh, That's incredible, man. Yeah, can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, I, your face is definitely showing that you yeah. are thinking the opposite. Uh, no, but I I love this uh, the scavenger hunt. I couldn't participate like the entire week because I had other things going on that week. Um, so next this year, actually, I want to like, fully dedicate that yeah. whole week to doing all these challenges but my team i was surprised they actually um they got really into this yeah uh, they they were you know going out like some of the charitable things um or doing good for the community um a group of them they went out and they were like 
uh, giving bottles of water to individuals on the street with positive messages on them. I was like, uh-huh. oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just doing a bunch of these kind of awesome things for the community. For me, like the creative side, like you were saying right now, was I was fighting with a drone. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but I, I picked up like my, my superhuman yeah, trophy I, and I, I was like, trying to be a robot. I, I saw that video. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yep. Yeah. I did a few of those. So it's, it's true. It helps you be more creative and then also helps you to go out and just hop out the community any way that you can. Uh, so I love it. I uh, hope, hope that you can continue to do it and continue to do it for many more years. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so Random Acts, this is a company that, uh, not a nonprofit organization that you co-founded, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, can you t- tell me a little bit about what that company does and what what do you um, you know what do you do to actually give back with that company? Um, well, the idea with Random Acts, uh, the the seed uh, for Random Acts was the notion that a small act of kindness can make a profound impact on somebody's life, and it can have ripple effects. So, your small action, of, my small act, uh, your small action of kindness to me. Um, will be carried with me forward in my life and it will compel me to do that with the other people that I meet. And so, um, so acts of kindness, I believe, uh, are, are kind of exponential. They can, they can have much, much greater reach than you think. And, and, uh, I also believe that I think a lot of people are, um, they're inhibited by the notion that, doing good for others is a big job and that they have to do something monumental. And while making big sacrifices for others is awesome and people should always do that when they can, um, I think a lot of times people get hung up on it and then end up doing nothing. And so one of the things that we try to convey with Random Acts is that small gestures are also important and encourage people to do things along a spectrum, whatever it is that they feel they have the capacity to do at the moment. So we try to facilitate those acts. So if a person has an idea of something that they want to do but needs support doing it, we we provide that support, um, whether it's funding or um, or infrastructure or whatever. And we also try to encourage people to do specific acts um, by 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 sending out ideas to people and creating a movement around that, um, and we we also do things along a very wide spectrum. So it ranges from you know something like handing out water bottles with kind messages written on them to homeless to building schools or orphanages or things like that. So we run kind of the gamut. Um, in terms of the scope of the projects that we do. Random Acts is helping to facilitate the, uh, the all of the care that's going to those four refugee families that I mentioned, for instance. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, that's it that's in awesome. a nutshell. Um, we're, we're just finishing, uh, we just finished the first phase of building a high school complex in Nicaragua, and now we're starting the next, we're, we're adding in a couple of additional buildings, and that's, Pretty much fully funded by Random Acts. That's amazing. That's an amazing you know, story as to you know what you guys do out there. Now, what, like, what happened? <laughs> Not necessarily what happened to you, but uh, uh, like, what planted the seed in you at a young age to say want to do something? Like, was there like a certain event that happened in your life? Like for me, I've been I don't know like ever since I was a very young individual, I've always like loved helping out other people. I was very empathetic for other people's situations. 
mainly because you know I grew up half an hour away from LA in this place where it was very gang it's like a, a very dense gang environment around where I grew up I was never a part of it but I saw a lot of that um, you know food stamps government subsidized housing all that kind of thing and as I got older and I started making my own money, I was like, you know, I want to help individuals that might be going through that. Uh, for one of the Thanksgivings a few years ago, uh, my friend Dion and I, we got together, got some people to, you know, donate some money, and we fed over 100 families for Thanksgiving, gave away That's turkeys right. and baskets. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, but for that, it was just like my mentor, one of my mentors, Tony Robbins, he says, the secret to living is giving. Right. So I look back at my life and like, okay, you know, that's what helped me out when we were struggling as other people were giving to us and helping out our family. So I want to kind of pay that forward, uh, do these random acts to other individuals. So what was it for you like growing up? Was there something that happened or a few, you know, things that happened in your life that kind of led you to this path of just helping out others? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I guess I, in, in some respects, I was fortunate that I grew up in a family that was really poor. And so we, I got to experience the, the benefits of the generosity of others, you know? And so I think that that actually helps. It helps you develop certainly empathy because you have, you know, I, I grew up on food stamps and, and in subsidized housing and sometimes homeless. And, and we, we were online at soup kitchens, you know, we had really no money at times and, that um and there were times when there were that when when the kindness of strangers made a big impact on us you know i remember one time we were we were sleeping in a tent on the side of the road and somebody came and just like in a pickup truck and was like come on get get in we got in and they brought us to a motel and they paid it for our fest to be in a motel they gave us a gift certificate for uh uh abdow's big boy and I was, I think I was seven years old at the time. And that was such, it was, I remember distinctly, we had a $14 gift certificate to Abdow's Big Boy. And for us, that was so much money. And it was like such a feast. It was such an embarrassment of riches. And for the person that gave that to us, it meant, you know, they clearly, they had to take an hour of their time to do what they did for us. And they gave us, you know, probably in the end, $50 um, between the motel and the $14 at Abdow's Big Boy. Um, and for them, that may not have been a lot of money, but for us, I am still talking about it 35 years later. Yeah. You know, it made a huge impact on this little family that was, you know, struggling on the side of the road. And there were a couple of other events like that in my childhood that have stuck with me. Um, but in general, I think the fact that um, that I that we struggled and other people helped us was actually really lucky for me in the long run because it showed me that you know I think that if you've never experienced um, real uh, need like that, real material need, it might be a little bit harder to be empathetic or to want to help other people. I think that we all have that empathy in us though, and that we all, I, there's nobody out there who doesn't feel good helping somebody else in need. Um, uh, for some reason though, I think that we often feel like we need some sort of license to do those things. We need some excuse for it. And the truth is we don't need an excuse. You can go through life doing that all the time. 
um, as a practice, you know, as a reminder to stay present. It's a good thing to take note of the people who might be suffering around you and see if there's anything that you can do to ameliorate their situation. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my story. Oh man. Yeah. I love it. And it's so true. Like the individuals that, you know, have struggled when you're going through that struggle, you might think that that's like the worst possible outcome that could ever happen to you at that point in time. Um, you know, but once you get through that and you pass through that phase, you look back and you're like, man, that probably, that probably is the greatest thing that could have happened to me because now, you know, I can take from, from that experience and apply it to my life now to help out other individuals. So I love that. Um, now fast forward a few years, you know, you, uh, before acting, I know that I did a little Wikipedia research. <laughs> um, you were actually, you were working under the Clinton administration in the White House. Is that true? Yeah, I, well, I, I working is a very strong word. <laughs> I did. I was, uh, I interned at the, in the White House in 95, <clears throat> right before Monica Lewinsky did. And, uh, and I, I was not good at my job, Luis. I was a terrible intern. I was doing uh, my, my I was in the office of presidential personnel, and I was supposed to be helping um, sift through candidates uh, for presidential appointment, which there are a tremendous number of. Um, there's like at the time I, that this number may have changed, but at the time I think there were 3,500 positions for presidential appointment. So the president directly appoints 3,500 people in government. And there's a lot that we know about because we're hearing about them right now with uh, with Trump and his appointments, um, which basically he seems to be just sort of pulling names out of a hat with people who are evil. Like these are the ones that we'll choose from. Um, but um, that is a small fraction of the number of total appointments that a president can make. So there's all of these positions that are much, much lower down um, on the on the chain. And uh, and I so there's a lot of work that goes into that. And it's not just when the administration starts because people are coming and going all along. So um, anyway, I was in that office. I was doing a lot of database entry. I was doing I was writing letters uh, for Bill Clinton, which he would sign, but he wouldn't even really sign them. There was some machine that signed for, for him. And the letters would be letters like, thank you very much for your recommendation for so-and-so for secretary of agriculture. Uh, look forward to, you know, reading through them and meeting with so-and-so in person. Thank you so much. And that email, that, that letter that I had written, this is pre-email really, um, email was, was still just starting at this point. That letter I would then send, um, I would, I would write it. Bill Clinton would fake sign it and then it would go to some governor, you know, the governor of Nebraska and the, and the governor of Nebraska's intern would read it and write a response letter back to me. And so it was like this weird network of interns writing letters to each other that the people who were fake signing them never read and didn't care about it at all. So there's this whole weird world of correspondence that the people who are on the on the letterhead never even know about and certainly don't care about. Um, and that's what I was engaged in. So I discovered that I was not a very good clerical worker and really bad at database maintenance. So I learned something about myself in the process, but it was not... Uh, I was not well suited to that task for sure. 
So then what what made you shift um, from doing that to becoming an actor? Uh, you've been on several <clears throat> different shows, right? ER is one of them that you've been on 24, I believe you were on yeah. 24 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Supernatural, uh, you've been on for several years. So what what helped you make that transition? Um, I, when I was actually, when I was in DC, I did start doing a little bit of acting, um, but I, um, I think that I had, I had, grown up always thinking that I was going to go into politics. And there was something about my experience at the White House. Maybe it was that I just didn't like database entry. Um, I'm not sure. Um, But I I didn't, I wasn't crazy about DC. And there was something about the environment being in the White House that made me think, I don't know if this is right for me. I don't know if this is the right path. And so I decided to sort of take to course correct and and uh, and reevaluate. And I thought, well, maybe what I could do is I could get <laughs> this is such a it's a little embarrassing to reveal this. But I thought maybe what I can do is I can get famous and then I can use my fame to be influential instead of going through the political channels to do that. And so that is why I went into acting. It wasn't for it wasn't because at the time I had any particular passion or knack for acting, but it was just because I had this sort of long-term strategy of becoming famous enough that I could be influential. Um, and I thought that I and I gave myself a five-year time limit. Um, like if I if I haven't if this hasn't worked out in five years, which I was very confident for some reason that it would then I'll do something different. And it, uh, needless to say, like five years later, I think I had guest starred on Charmed and had a cameo here and there. Like I had no measurable success at that point. But I ended up sticking with it. And I did end up, um, through the process, I ended up gaining an affection for acting and the, and everything that goes into that um, and feeling increasingly gratified by that. Um, but yeah, that was my, that was my long-term strategy. Interesting. So, and then and now looking back at it, it's like, it, look at what we talked about in the beginning, the random acts, Gishwis, like y- you did take that fame and you're doing good for the world now because of that. So <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe my, That's awesome. maybe my strategy worked. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so now I have a friend of mine, his name is Nick Marino. He's a student actor. He goes to the university of central Florida. And he wrote down like an essay of questions to ask you. Okay. I don't think I'll be able to to add, uh, ask all of them. So I'm going to try to summarize all of them into just one big question. Okay, um, big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so essentially, he just wants to know, like, obviously, school is important um, for certain things that you might may or may not want to do, right? Um, so one of the, his things is like, hey, should I just drop out and go to move to LA and just pursue acting 24-7? Or should I stay here? And also, like, what other tips would you recommend for someone, not only just for Nick, but, you know, someone that's starting off in the industry or, or has aspirations to become famous, right? Um, and get into Hollywood and get into acting and, you know, TV shows, movies, all that sort of stuff. You know, what types of tips would you recommend for them to start doing right now to get them moving towards that direction? It's funny when I was uh, I I was recently back in L.A. with my oldest friend who uh, who also moved to L.A. with me um, back in 1999. And we were both at the same sort of point where we were like trying to get an agent, trying to get an acting job, that sort of stuff. 
And uh, we were reflecting on that experience and how awful it, it is in hindsight uh, and how blind we were to that situation at the time. We were like, this is great. We're, we're on track. And now thinking back to the stuff that we were subjecting ourselves to and how difficult it was, uh, I can't, I cannot believe how much work goes into it. It is truly not an easy path. There are people um, like uh, my, one of my, one of the stars of Supernatural, uh, Jared, he was like walking in a mall one day and somebody was like, Hey, you, you look good. You want to, you know, you want to be a model or an actor and that's it. You just went, he came to LA, he got an, I think he got his first audition, turned out to be Gilmore Girls, and he worked on that for years, and he's never, he's never not worked. So it does happen, um, but you have to be six foot four and dashingly good looking for that kind of luck to, uh, lightning to strike. Um, But um, with acting, um, I think, I think school is helpful. It is definitely not necessary. Um, the biggest asset that you can have breaking into the business often is actually youth. And youth at times trumps school. Um, nothing is more valuable than credits. So if you have worked on something before, it's very valuable. Um, more valuable than having gone to school. Going to acting school in, and I guess I should clarify that this is not, I'm not speaking to the New York theater scene or regional theater or anything like that. I'm just speaking about Los Angeles um, because that's all I know. But the um, having legitimate credits on TV shows and things like that is gold. Um, Unless you attend a top, top school like, Tisch School uh, for the Arts at NYU for an MFA or Yale um, or or something like that. Um, The, you know, anything else is not that impressive to LA casting directors or agents. They really don't care. So unless you feel like you're really gaining something personally and you're developing tools that you really feel you need, then uh, unless you're at one of those top, top schools, it might not translate into something that is actually going to get doors open for you in LA. Um, one of the pieces of practical advice that I can give is right now there's all these tax credits for, uh, product film and television production. So if you shoot in Louisiana or New Mexico, actually New Mexico's just went away, I think, but if you shoot in Louisiana or North Carolina or South Carolina or Texas, there's all these places where the local governments will give you your production tremendous tax credits. So tons of productions are shooting outside of Los Angeles. What that means practically is that there's these productions that are showing up, um, you know, in Wilmington and North Carolina and you, uh, there's not a big pool of actors there, but there's a lot of production going on, which means there's a lot of available roles for local actors because they a production can save a lot of money if they hire somebody locally so they're inclined if they can to cast locally and what that means is there's a real golden opportunity if you go places where there's production happening that is not los angeles i would say do not come to los angeles to start los angeles has fifty thousand 
uh, oh, now I've forgotten the number. I think it's 100,000. Yeah. It's 100,000 union members. And of those, only only about 2,500 are working wow. consistently. So, and there's another 100 and something thousand people who are non-union who are trying to get union. So now you're competing against literally hundreds of thousands of people who are trying to go for actually a very few number of jobs that are shooting in LA. Um, and you're just, you're just setting yourself up for incredibly challenging odds. Mm -hmm. So I, what I would suggest is starting in a, in a secondary market. I, I actually did it in DC. I started in DC. So I got a couple of studio film credits in Washington, DC, which is actually relative was at, at the time it was actually relatively easy because there were tiny span, there was like a couple of lines, but it goes a really long way to have a major motion picture on your resume that you can go to LA and give to casting directors and agents. So start uh, not start not in LA, not in New York. Start in a secondary market um, and pound the pavement and be unbelievably per pers uh, persistent. I literally have gone on thousands of auditions. And I never gave up. And I also, I mean, this is very trite, but it's very true. You have to fall, you have to find a way to fall in love with the process and not the product. If you go into the arts and are chasing some sort of goal, some sort of achievement, like I want to get a role in a production or I want to have my work in a gallery and you're single-mindedly focused on that, you're not going to succeed because you it will take it takes such a long time to get to that point that you have to satisfy yourself along the way with the process that gets you there. Um, you have to love painting and you have to be satisfied in your studio painting every day in order to ever get good enough to get your stuff in a gallery. And likewise, you have to love acting and you have to love the process of going on auditions, which I grew to love. I actually, I got myself to a point where I was like, I actually don't, I don't care if I get this part because I'm enjoying coming to do this audition. And you have to get into that frame of mind. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to be able to deal with all of the rejection that inevitably is coming your way. Um, and then, you know, you have to also work harder than everybody else. That's another thing. You have to know, you have to rehearse for your audition for hours and hours and hours as much as you possibly can because a lot of other people are going to be lazy and that's going to give you the leg up. You have to work harder than other people if you want to be successful. You can't, you can't be lazy about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I could go on and on, but I'll stop. <laughs> no, those are great tips. That's great advice for, you know, not only just individuals trying to get into the business, but just in any field um, at all, you can apply the, you know, that advice to say somebody trying to uh, go out and yeah. book speeches, right? I'm for myself, I'm trying to go out and book more speeches so I can go on and spread the message of memory improvement. Um, and it takes a lot of that, just a lot of rejection. Like for me, it's cold calling. I have to call a lot of companies and a lot of, a lot of schools to try to get in the door. And a lot of them are saying, oh, it sounds interesting, but just not right now. Mm -hmm. You know, call me back in a few months. So you get a lot of rejection right off the bat. And it's so true. I fell in love with the process of just calling people because it's not just me trying to get the gig, but I'm just having a conversation with somebody. If they say yes, cool. If not, I've had companies call me like months later saying, hey, we have an opening now. Come and do your talk. 
at our you know company event uh, next month, right? So it's just more like you said, get in, fall in love with the process, um, and 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 do it every single second that you possibly can. Practice, 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 because that's going to help you out tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of memory, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and say something that you so I. Uh, you you've helped me. The reason the way I know Luis is that I uh, I reached out to him because I wanted help with some um, some memory improvement skills um, because uh, <laughs> there are times when I feel like my brain doesn't work properly. Um, but I have to say it's been, it was really very helpful. Uh, the stuff that I learned from you was really invaluable. It, it's it is invaluable. Um, and I use it all the time. Um, and there's still layers more deep I can go with the stuff that, that we uh, have started on. I feel like I'm not done, but uh, but I uh, I use it all the time. And I actually use it, um, I use it for learning large passages of dialogue. One of the things with acting is it does, be, it's a muscle. I mean, obviously it's a muscle just like anything. And it gets much easier to learn dialogue as time goes on. I can learn dialogue pretty quickly now, but uh, with lengthier passages, when it becomes a big chunk of text, uh, it can it's always a challenge. And I am now using, you know, the Memory Palace, for instance, uh, every time I have a you know paragraph chunk or more, and I've noticed that it has helped my um, faculty with performance actually quite a bit because it is enable it's freed me up. And this is like me coming, you know, coming to you as somebody who's fifth six, 17 years doing this. Like I'd been doing this for a long time before I learned that particular memory technique from you. And, um, and I noticed a, a marked difference in my performance on larger meteor um, chunks of text because what it, it's enabled me to not think about the recall anymore. It just comes, it comes naturally. Um, because of that technique. So, uh, I thank you. You're very skilled at, at not obviously you're, you're, you know, I mean, you're a known renowned, renowned, uh, memory expert, um, yourself, but you're also a good instructor. Like you convey the knowledge in a very efficient and totally, um, uh, digestible manner. So thank you for that. I, you didn't ask me, he did not. <laughs> Ask me to plug him, by the way. I, I did that of my own volition. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I remember when I got contacted um, from your assistant uh, and uh, he's like, you know, Misha Collins. I, I told you straight up when I first, or during our first session, I was like, I don't watch TV. <laughs> so I don't, you know, please don't get offended by the fact that I don't necessarily know who you are. Um, and then I, I saw like your Instagram and everything. I was like, this guy has like millions of followers. <laughs> I was like, he's pretty famous. No, but, um, uh, you know, and then we started going through the process and you pick it up like really quickly, you know, memorizing names and faces, which I know like in the industry, you meet a lot of people all the time. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I use consistently on a regular basis you know that i don't know if, has that helped you out um yeah totally i mean i i that one was one when i came to you that's one of one of the things that i'm worst at uh or was worst at i mean i'm still i still struggle with it but i use those techniques uh you know anytime i remember to use your techniques i'm fine when i when i still forget to use them then i'm like shit why didn't i use luis's technique um, so anyway, but yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's, uh, been a major upward trajectory. Thank you. I have to, I know that you have to go. Um, 
tend to the kids and family. So I just have like one or two more questions, if it's okay with you. Yeah. Um, just some some fans of the show as well that wanted to ask some questions. So uh, it's from a friend of mine, uh, Lori, her daughter Megan. So she asks, how many takes did it take you to do the scenes where you use the phrase, <laughs> "Hey, ass butt" without laughing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the the <clears throat> so there's a scene. That line has become very famous. There's a scene where I say, hey, ass butt, and then I throw a Molotov cocktail. Hey, ass butt. At, at this character who at the time, I can't even remember. Was that Lucifer? I think it was, I think Lucifer was possessed. And it was confusing. It was either Michael or Lucifer. I can't remember who was possessing whom at that point. But I had this Molotov co cocktail. So the hey, ass butt actually was the least of my problems in that scene because the Molotov cocktail that I was throwing was made out of this uh, substance called, it actually had a flaming thing and liquid inside, and it was made out of uh, this stuff called candy glass, which is like in a movie or something, when you see like a bar fight and guys bashing bottles over each other's head and they, they break, it's because it's candy glass. If you take a beer bottle and you hit somebody over the head, normally it doesn't actually break, it just like, cracks the person's skull and they fall bleeding. Knocks them out. On the floor. <laughs> so in order for actors to be able to hit actors with beer bottles, they use this stuff called candy glass, which breaks. So they, there's different thicknesses of candy glass. So you can have candy glass that's like actually really hard to break and candy glass that's easy to break. And they wanted to find it sort of like in the middle because if it's too easy to break, it would break when I threw it. It would break in my hand as I was trying to throw it. So they made it a little harder than usual. So I was throwing it at this poor kid who uh, it was hitting him really hard and not breaking. So it was like I was throwing this full bottle at him and it was just going like this and like hitting him and not breaking. And I was like, shit. So then I thought, all right, it didn't break because I didn't throw it hard enough. So I'll throw it harder. And I threw it even like I threw it hard so that it would just shatter and not hurt him. And it still didn't break. <laughs> So that scene, ass butt, was the least of my problems. Uh, injuring a fellow actor was the real problem. <clears throat> wow. All right. And then I have just one more. Uh, so this one's from Caitlin. She says, when you gave out a phone number a while ago for a fans to call you, like a couple years ago, she says, uh, do you still check that voicemail or, or even answer it? Um, and what were your thoughts when you were giving out that number? So... Uh, I thought, oh, this will be funny. It was actually like a Google voice number, so it wasn't actually my cell phone. <clears throat> but at that time, I had it set up so that that number fed to my cell phone. Mm. And I posted it, and I thought, oh, people, people call, and they'll be like, oh, my God, I actually got through. And so I answered a couple of calls that came in, and then it was like, oh, my God, my phone is ringing constantly. Yeah. And then the text started scrolling in. like They were just pouring in. I was like, shit. And then the next day, I woke up, and this is a true story. And I got a, uh, I got an email from a lawyer. And I don't know how he had found my contact information, but a lawyer had emailed me because I had apparently given out his client's phone number online, and his client, their business had been shut down the previous day by the flood of phone calls that had come in. And I was like, No, I didn't. This is my Google Voice number. And he, so I had a little back and forth with his lawyer and it turns out people had switched two of the numbers. So I had posted a certain number and you know, the portion of my fans who were slightly dyslexic, <laughs> two numbers 
and 900 people switched these two numbers and called the wrong number, which is astonishing. Uh, the odds of that. Yeah, I mean, that like gives you a, an indication of how many people were calling. And I, uh, I actually, for some reason, happened to log on and see that that phone number on the Google Voice uh, recently. I don't know how Google does it, but they've apparently stored all of the voicemails. I have three hundred thousand voicemails. What? <laughs> phone number. <laughs> um, which I mean, li literally, I'm thinking like, is that a whole? Is there like an entire server that's just devoted to at Google, just just devoted to storing the voicemails on that line? Because <laughs> it seems like it. So, um, but yeah, I, I, it might take me a while to get through those. <laughs> Go through them, man. Just take off a few seasons from yeah. filming and just keep going through those uh, voicemails. So cool, awesome. Thank you so much for again. I, I have more questions. I can't get to all of them right now, um, but uh, hopefully we have another. To be continued session, another one follow up. Um, and That's <laughs> my thinking. Sorry. Uh, uh, then we can ask some more questions. Yeah, I would love to, man. Thank you. It's uh, always a pleasure, Luis. Good to see you. Hope you're well. I like your t shirt. Will you stand up so I can see the bottom of your t shirt? So it's like a, a guy. He's like smoking a pipe oh. and then it goes into oh. the universe. That's, yeah. that's so good. All right, I've definitely got to check those out. Check it out. Imaginary Foundation, another plug. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. Bye, my friend. Bye. Bye.